Yeah. So a couple points to touch on there. Uh, and, you know, kind of even to go back, the realtors have a very, very strong organized operation um, throughout the country at every state capital, even in local jurisdictions. And we found during COVID that they had put out that they their suggestion was to have, I believe it was a three day in between for cleaning between rentals. Um, and it terrified our entire marketplace throughout the state, right? So that's an opportunity of not showing what it is we would be putting out as a group and what all of our housekeeping changes and medical grade items and how we were prepared with our, in preparing with our staff um, and communicating that through and having access. Um, I think it's extremely important too, in terms of the, the narrative of what we put out. Um, so a lot of times, you know, you have to, not only educated as what it is we do, but we have to educate within the communities as well, because people don't understand, um, you know, neighbors may not understand that we are going into those properties. We're inspecting them. We're keeping them um, up to date. They are a huge asset to not only the owners, but for our company as, you know, as well. Um, so talk, talking through that, because it's a greater narrative of the education to an elected official, but also what we're putting out and marketing ourselves within a, a local community. Um, and I think that the other part, too, is you're going to have greater success if you can go in with other stakeholders. So a lot of legislators, they will look to see a compromise. And um, I believe Rolf Blizzard said this recently. Um, but if you could get 80 percent, that's a win. I think that's a huge win. If we got 80 percent on something, that's a massive win. Um, but the the goal for a lot of legislators is, you know, to everyone walks away having to give up something. And so knowing, you know, Steve, you've told us this before, but like knowing our non-negotiables first and foremost of what we would agree to and what we wouldn't. But if we have good relationships and can walk in as a unified front with different stakeholders, so whether that be with restaurant and, uh, you know, lodging and hotels, with the realtors, with the OTAs, if we can agree to a lot of key points with, the, with some of those groups, it is much easier to get something passed through. And that's one of the things that also with a lobbyist can help because sometimes it gets a little bit hairier between some of us, but a lobbyist can talk through some of those non-negotiables and compromises and may have a relationship with a lobbyist where they're working on something else that's outside of our industry and can use some of those one compromises. Of the, one of the other really important parts too, whether you know anyone says that this doesn't happen, um, if you schedule a meeting, with any elected official, they're going to look up campaign contributions, number one, and they're going to see if you've donated to their campaign or if you've donated to an opponent's campaign, or if, you're, if your opponent on this specific issue has donated to their campaign, campaign or an opponent's campaign. And so to have a presence, and that's why it was so important for us to have a pack and to bring everyone together and to have the, the terminology of professional managers. It's not something that everyone is a member to. It's something we all agree to of the way that we would run policies and procedures and, and the high uh, standard of how we run our company. Um, that speaks volumes, but having that that name and being able to expand our treasure chest of what we can do to support has very strong visibility. So um, Tiffany, as you recall, we had a fundraiser for House Speaker Renner, and I think that really resonated. And I'm sure you heard, uh, you know, through your sources that that really made a difference in terms of, you know, we got an hour with him and he really started to understand more about the vacation rental industry. The same thing is true when we met with Governor DeSantis 
for an hour with 10 of the top property managers in the state, he'd kind of associated us with Airbnb, which is a San Francisco-based company that he's not excited about. And we said, hey, look, we're property managers. We're based here in Florida. This is the face of the industry, as well as the economic impact study that showed vacation rentals in the state of Florida having an economic impact of 53 million billion, I'm sorry, with a B. Um, how important is having that information, having that face-to-face, being able to give a check to an elected official with um, a lot of influence um, in terms of moving our our industry forward in a state like Florida? So it's obviously very, it's extremely important, but I think it's more important for us to understand that writing a check doesn't mean a vote is casted in our favor. Um, and so sometimes people get fatigued that they give money, but they don't see necessarily a bill signed or the passage of a bill. And so this is a longstanding relationship. And the, the truth of it is, is that I used to work in, in Georgia. And if we handed a $250 check to an elected official when I lobbied there, they were so ecstatic and, and, and so grateful. If I gave $250 to an elected official, you know, I don't not only would there never be a callback, I mean, I don't even think their staff would even understand our name, right? But the the most important part of that is that campaigns cost a lot of money. Um, TV ads, which they all have to run, cost millions of dollars. These campaigns, and it may it's different in every state, um, even Texas for us, Steve, and some of the work we've done in Texas and, and California or, you know, Colorado, these the, the campaigns are are different and they cost different. So you need to take a look at that. But this isn't people get discouraged if it's they hand over a check or they meet with someone and they don't all of a sudden agree. It doesn't work that way. What you need to do is make sure that you support and your name is there so that they understand that you're supporting um, those individuals. And this is a complete bipartisan. I mean, we've mentioned a lot of people who are who are, uh, you know, the Republican is the majority here in Florida. But um, that's leadership. So we're going to spend a little bit more with leadership because they're, you know, they're making the decisions and they have a lot of questions. More stuff is brought to them. Um, but it is a complete bipartisan of support because bipartisan is what helps us in our industry. So speaking of helping us, we did get a bill passed in uh, 2023, Senate Bill 170, which we did not really publicize until Governor DeSantis signed it. And we were concerned that he may not sign it because there was so much opposition from local governments for him to veto it. And we were concerned, but obviously he did sign it into law. Uh, the local governments are not happy, but you know, Senate bill 170 basically puts into place the ability to basically stop local governments from creating unconstitutional uh, laws uh, that they had been doing before because they would assume that their opponents would just go out of business. Now, all of a sudden, if they pass a law that's unconstitutional, um, this uh, would allow businesses who show that they lose $50,000 or more in profit, which is a very low bar, to be able to go to a judge and be able to get a stay on this. It creates something called a rocket docket to push this bill through the court system very fast. Uh, if the uh, local governments lose, they're going to have to pay attorney fees. And also, even before they pass a law, they have to show um, validation that the law really is constitutional. They can't just dream up something that they probably know is unconstitutional just to pass to kind of cause the industry to go out of business in their local area. So how important is Senate Bill 
170 to vacation rentals in the state of Florida? Yeah, it's it's very important. And um, to your point, a similar bill was pushed forward last year and the governor vetoed it. Um, it was a little bit more cumbersome and requirements. And also for this year, we were very quiet on it because part of it didn't at one point didn't include us right in the, some of the language and then the language got very vague and it made it through very last minute. We won't talk about all of that, but um, but it was it was a successful effort. Um, what it does and why the reason it's so important and why I think that if any of your listeners are outside of Florida and any other states, you really need to look at how you can be creative. Um, the wording on this is that the courts or they have to it's if a, an ordinance is arbitrary or unreasonable and that is not defined within um, within this ordinance or within this uh, legislation. So it is up to the courts. So depending on what type of court you have in your local area, that arbitrary and unreasonable has to be um, they have the has to have some burden of proof of that. Um, it makes it a little bit easier um, for us. The other part that's really interesting there is that it freezes. And I know you mentioned this on your last um, podcast, but it freezes that ordinance in place. And so that provides another layer of protection for us. And so part of that is having a lobbyist, but also having the right operators to understand if something happens in our area and talking with our groups, because we do have weekly calls during session or biweekly calls within our session with uh, our members. How would this affect you um, and, and what the concern would be? And so for us, if an ordinance is in place and, and ultimately later down the road is deemed, you know, unreasonable and arbitrary, we've made all the changes within our business. So what's the cost to us? Because it's been in litigation for several years. So finding out really and talking through those operations and this bill is, is a great example Um it, potentially could be replicated in states that would be more favorable to not have local jurisdictions, you know, kind of subse uh, superseding power of, of, of a state government. And we're in a unique period where coming, you know, even several years later, we gave a lot of power back from COVID to uh, local communities um, and jurisdictions. And so some communities took a little bit more and the state sometimes battles with those counties and cities. So you may see that that's an opportunity for you in other states if you're outside of Florida. Right. And and we're not going to have time to talk too much about legislation for 2024. But Tiffany, I know behind the scenes, you've been working on starting to grease the skids for some legislation in 2024. And I think it's important for listeners to understand because we're still in 2023. Things just don't happen, right? It's not just like, oh, we want a bill to pass. Let's come, let's go to our uh, favorite senator or local legislature and, and come. Yeah, it, it, It's well, uh, you've got to work with leadership. You've got to work with stakeholders. You've got to get everybody in alignment before the legislation session even starts. Is that... A, a true statement? Completely accurate. You also have to assess where your opposition is and where those compromises can be. Yeah. Um, and those conversations and the concerns, because it's not just leadership, it's the whole, you know, legislature, you have to understand where the concerns are driven. And, and for us, because of the group we've pulled together, we have a lot of locations throughout the state. So the, the goal is to provide a local constituent to provide some of these answers and connect them with some of those elected officials. Um, that's months and months of work. 
Um, sometimes years of work. There's general fatigue over the vacation rental bill. Um, if anyone is in Florida understands that. We've worked in Texas as well um, and in some other states, but it is it is a longstanding um, you know, work. The other part for a specific bill, the other part for us, again, is that we're relatively new as an industry to come together and say that we are property managers or we're a vacation rental industry. So the education has put us so much further behind um, when we try to put something forward as a proactive legislation. In a lot of areas, the goal just has to be education at this point. And that's, that can be years and, and months, but you should, the day that session ends, within, you know, you take a breather and within the next month, you should be going ahead and preparing yourself for the next session. We also need to be looking at what are the overall industry trends and what are we seeing throughout the state? So we know insurance prices in Florida are going up. We know there's more conversation about investors and investor spending. Um, what do those bills, you know, kind of look like? We also know that taxes are probably going to come down because there's less spending in a general area. We have seen now from the response of the 2022 vacation rentals are up. That's an opportunity in tourism tax. How do we diversify those tourism tax, which was attempted this year during um, during session? So to clarify, in Florida, our tourism tax is, is regulated to specific um, spending mechanisms, um, marketing. There's some public safety in counties. There's attempts to, to expand what those dollars can be spent for. Um, and so noticing those trends and having those conversations early on will set you up for a much greater success in the next session. But it, it has to start almost the day that the last session ends. Okay. So we kind of want to wrap this up and talk about a few other rapid fire takes, but the, the bottom line of all of this is, you know, it's real talk. You have to be able to communicate with property managers uh, in your state. Uh, the big ones, you got to get them to participate. Although we've been unsuccessful with Bacasa, but you know, there's other ones that have stepped up. They and have got- an advocacy fund for VRMA. They, I, I do know that for their company, they cannot give for a pack. That's their, um, cor- it's a corporate policy. Well, other other companies have figured that out, but uh, we'll just put a bow on that, and and maybe someday uh, we'll get some other more participation from them. But I want to mention also that it's important also to work with the, um, you know, the OTAs. And in some cases, uh, if they don't have, you know, they, the lobbyist takes their instructions from, uh, you know, the company. So if the lobbyist is saying one thing, uh, it is possible to go up the ladder and kind of express why it would be in their best interest to support professional property managers. And I think the other thing that we've seen a big swing, and I think the OTAs are starting to realize is the face of, coming up with more reasonable regulations, it should be the face of property managers, not OTAs. An OTA out of Austin, Texas, or an OTA out of San Francisco is not as sympathetic as property managers that live and have their roots and their employees in the state. So this is really important. I see Tiffany nodding. So uh, we're going to move on though real quick. So the VRMA Advocacy Fund, which Tiffany was saying, um, you know, has helped the Florida uh, state coalition significantly through one, um, this uh, economic impact study, which we were able to get in the hands of uh, key uh, stakeholders in 2023, they paid for that with donations and in-kind donations. And then also they uh, seeded a 
publicity campaign uh, and in part to help us get open uh, during COVID in 2020. So we appreciate that. Uh, the goal of uh, the uh, VRMA Advocacy Fund is is still to hit what they hit in 2022, 600,000. Uh, it's tough this year. We've seen uh, donations drop, in particular from property managers. Uh, not great. Uh, the vendors have actually come forward, so we appreciate the vendors, uh, but a lot of apathy from property managers, uh, kind of inexcusable, but uh, maybe uh, they'll change their ways at some point. I do want to talk about a couple of other things. So uh, one, there, there is this, uh, in, in many states, there is a lack of a state coalition, or if there is a state coalition, they don't have lobbyists, or if they have a lobbyist, they don't have fundraising. And those are the states that seem to have the biggest problems and challenges. You know, I was communicating back and forth with a property manager in Colorado, and he was pretty frustrating because you've got, you know, one person in particular from Colorado that virtue signals on advocacy all the time, and yet uh, hasn't really stepped forward um, based on his size to do the kind of um, significant contribution that would fund the lobbyists. So how how can a state coalition even get anything done, let alone play defense if they don't have a lobbyist and they're not funding political races, Tiffany? It's going to be very difficult to find success. You're, you're going to have to be reliant on other state organizations or other stakeholders to drive the narrative. And you they drive whatever the comments are or whatever the compromises are, and you help with the grassroots campaign. Um, a lobbyist provides you not only access, but early um, understanding or what could be coming down the pipeline um, with legislation. Um, and you help get, or you help to drive what it is, um, the narrative or compromises or legislation language. Um, VTRIPS has been amazing. And Steve, you, I know this has been advocacy is something you've been doing for 20 plus years. Um, but helping fund our lobbyists. So that allows us to use our other donations just for campaign contributions or any type of marketing that need, may need to do on a specific bill. Um, and so it's worked out as a great model for us here in Florida. Um, but it is the truth of the matter is this stuff costs a lot of money. And there's a lot of noise and chatter of started, you know, a 501c3. And this is how it gets done. Well, 501c3 can't lobby. I mean, that's an that's an IRS regulation. Um, there's a lot of direction that is misguided. Um, and so if you don't have a lobbyist, something can happen very quickly that we have uh, no idea that's happening. Example, Tennessee past that, you know, short-term rentals in the commercial aspect, you're now seeing the result of that in, in your market, Miriam, where they're now trying to, they're now charging at a commercial rate. That's a huge issue. When you don't have a lobbyist that has access, this stuff is quietly pushed through. Um, so it's, it, you're, you're never going to get exactly what you want. You're relying on others. Yeah, Miriam, you're aware because this kind of happened in our uh, owners in Tennessee, uh, you know, found out about it and they were upset that their property taxes now are going to be taxed at a different rate as a vacation rental um, versus if they were, you know, a resident, uh, in some cases almost triple, although 
property taxes in general in Tennessee are relatively low compared to other states. But Miriam, what have you heard from owners about this? So here's what I mean, to wrap it all in, we have the lowest taxes in the country, um, which could go either way, right? But this actually went into effect in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, is when the 40%, when it went from 25 to 40%. Um, so we already have about 2,700 owners who are paying that. A lot of this goes back to COVID, right? We had all of this boom. So Tennessee was the, the best destination to purchase in. We had all these 1031s from, you know, making a making it a second residence or whatever when they were selling out. Um, our hotels had already paid that. So our lodging went. And so how they're kind of spinning it is when COVID happened, we did not shut down lodging and vacation rentals in my state were grouped into that. So we were still an open band. And, you know, again, we have a lot of our homeowners are, our newer homeowners are paying this, um, some owners are like, okay, you know, our property tax even going up 15% from what it was is still about the norm in different areas, right? Um, some of them are already losing their minds and saying, you know, what are we going to do? And again, it goes back to this was already in effect. You know, a lot of these homeowners got it pushed through. We can talk about realtors putting it under, you know, a different concept, but 2,500 people have already been paying it for two years. What And it, it all goes back to the education. How did it take two years for people to, for it to hit the news and to make such a big deal? Because people are not aware of what is happening in the community is that they're either property managers, vendors, or, or invested in. So, so, so v, v, V-Trips, you know, in... 2022, 2023, organized a state chapter in, in Texas. And we'll talk someday about the success we've had in, in Texas, where we, you know, V-Trips hired the lobbyists in the same format that we've done with Florida, where then uh, we let the fundraising of the other property managers kick in and, and we target key um, leadership. Uh, we're probably going to, uh, our next emphasis will be Tennessee to try to get the state coalition. I mean, there is a chapter in Sevier County, but uh, you've got to have the whole state together. So, uh, you know, V-Trips has, you know, gone systematically state by state, organizing states, but we can't do every state and there's states that we don't even have properties in. So, you know, my advice to people who are listening, particularly, you know, the virtual virtue signaling bird in Colorado is, you know, take all the money that you're claiming that you're making and hire a lobbyist for the state and represent the state. Uh, virtue signaling is not going to solve the issues in Colorado. It just isn't. Um, you're going to have to have a lobbyist and you're going to have to then uh, set up a pack and get fundraising to leadership because, you know, the issues in Colorado are really scary. Um, if I was a property manager, I'd be very, very nervous. If I was an owner, I'd be considering selling at this point because if you're going to be uh, taxed at commercial rates, versus residential rates in Colorado, that could be triple your uh, real estate taxes. And the real estate taxes there are very, very expensive to begin with. But we're not going to have a lot more time to discuss this on this episode. I will tell people, again, if you want to go to our website at straightfirevr.com, email us at straightfirevr at gmail.com. I appreciate Jeannie Daly, Tiffany Edwards for coming on our call. 
I know that some sometimes these conversations get boring, but they're important for us to talk about because it's our biggest threat to our industry. And thanks again to Miriam Ramsey, our co-host, Heather Macias-Milo, our executive producer and sound engineer. Happy birthday, and thank you for listening.